Good morning, church. Last week, we began a two-message series, so this will conclude the series this morning, and it's called You Got Issues. So last week was part one, You Got Issues, and this is part two. And I say, you got issues, I've got issues too. We've all got issues, and what kind of issues are we talking about? We're talking about the issues that we face in our country. And with the upcoming election, I I thought it appropriate to talk about a couple of the issues that I believe that are near the top or at the top of God's most important list. And, you know, some of these issues that we have, you know, health care, Medicare, taxes, the economy, gun control, energy, foreign policy, immigration, same-sex marriage, social security, abortion, unemployment, capital punishment, the environment, education, regulation, civil rights, welfare, welfare, etc. It just just keeps going on and on. We have a range of issues, and that's why I said you have issues, I've got issues, we've all got issues that we determine, which determines our vote and who we're going to vote for. And, you know, we have two main candidates, there are other candidates, we have, you know, President Barack Obama is up for re-election. We have uh, Mitt Romney is, is challenging that. And, you know, at the, on their websites, you can go to their websites, and I've seen some of their commercials and stuff, and they say, go check me out at this website. You know, so I did. You know, I checked both out. And, and I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to be real honest. I like a lot of things on both sides. You know, it's just there's some good stuff on, on both sides. But, you know, there's, some, there's a couple of issues, though, that I that I really look at, and I want to look at the second one here this morning. Last week, we talked about an issue, and somebody said, man, you are brave, you know, after church, but uh, we talked about same-sex marriage uh, last week, and we wanted to talk about what the Bible has to say about it, and that's really what this is about, is what does the Bible say about some of these issues? Now, some of the other issues you will find in in the Word that I listed there, some of the others, you know, some of them, though, it's a little hard to look at some of them. Uh, it's a little hard to find some stuff. But a lot of them, you can see what the, what the Word says. But I've chosen to focus on two that I believe are up near God's heart. And last week, covering same-sex marriage, we talked about the order of the family and the order that God set up in His Word. And that's why I believe it's so important and how it affects the family. And, I, you know, having four children, I'm all family. I, you know, we're in this society. We're all in this society together. We have a culture here in America and the United States that I believe by and large has, you know, the, it seems as, it just keeps going further and further away from God and biblical roots and, you know, having a biblical worldview. And I believe it's very important for us as Christians to make sure that we have a biblical worldview on these issues. So now, if you're here this morning and you've already made up your mind who you're going to vote or you've already made up your mind on the issue I previously talked about last week, maybe you've made up your mind on the issue I'm going to talk about this morning. That's okay. You know, I just want you just to open up your mind and just put away preconceived ideas and just listen to what I've got to say just for this morning. And then after that, you know, see if you want to change your view or you know, maybe you don't need to change your view. Maybe it's the same as mine. I want to say here this morning, this, this is not 
a democratic thing. This is not a republican thing. This is not a libertarian thing. This is none of those things. This is a God thing this morning. I am not up here. I am not going to endorse a candidate. I am not going to endorse a party. Personally, uh, just to be honest, I do not like the two-party system that we have and some of the others that are trying to creep in. I don't like it at all. He said, TJ, what do you mean? Well, we don't have time to get into all that. I'm just telling you, it's just my view. We all have views, and it's okay for you to have a view. And it's okay that, that maybe your view is not the same as the person sitting next to you. What I want to say to you, though, however, with that, is that make sure that you've really studied these issues out. Make sure that you've really looked at all of these issues and you've compared it to, I believe, the one and only source we need to be comparing these issues to, which is the Word of God. So anything that comes out of a politician's mouth, whether it's a state senator or a congressman or a governor or a presidential candidate, whatever it may be, anybody that is in authority in our government system, we need to compare what they say by the Word of God. And so that's all I want to do this morning. That's all I want to look at. I'm not here to offend anybody. I'm not here to ruffle anybody's feathers. I hope I didn't do that last week, church. That's not my goal. My goal is simply to present the Word of God. This morning also as well, we are going to look at a little bit of science as well. Because this second issue for this part two is the issue of abortion is the one I want to talk about. And most of you probably already knew that or guessed that from last week. Uh, some of you, you know, came up to talk about it. And this is an issue that's very... It's, it's polarizing, it's, it's one of those that's controversial, it's one of those that is, you know, when you talk about it, and people have very strong views about this. And so this morning, I want to be careful, but I also want to be clear. I want to be clear on what I believe the Word of God says. And again, this morning, I'm not here to offend anyone. I'm not here to, you know, make anybody mad or angry or upset. And if you do end up feeling that way on some of the things I said, you know, I apologize for, you know, making you upset or mad, but I still have to do what I believe God's directed me to do. Is that, is that okay, church, this morning? All right. So the first thing is that our worldview does affect our attitude on abortion. Our worldview affects, actually, our attitude on all of the issues that we see. And that's why I believe instead of having a mainstream or popular cultural worldview, you need to have a biblical worldview as a Christian to be able to look at these issues. And I, again, I just, I just want to say one more time, I don't believe either of the parties got all of it right. I, I'm just going to be honest. I don't think either one's just 100% correct. I just don't. Uh, so I, I want to say that, make it really clear that this isn't about you know, the, the party thing. Again, this is about what God says on this issue of abortion. And there was a law that was passed in 1973. On, in January, the, U, the, the Supreme Court legalized abortion, the infamous you know, Roe versus Wade decision. Now, I've got you know, five pages of notes this morning, which is about three more than usual. Um, sometimes three and a half more than usual. So I'm going to do a lot of reading and just keep moving on because I've got a lot of information. And you know what? This is just scratching the surface on this issue. There are so many things. I've done a lot of studying this week. I've been torn up a lot this week. Um, had to stop studying some because you, 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 it, it's an emotional thing. So I want to try to cut the emotion out and cut to what God is saying, what I believe he's saying, and what the facts are saying. But abortion was legalized. And... It, you know, as Christians, 
I don't believe that we should support abortion. I'll just say that right up front, and I'll, I'll state my reasons why. Uh, we've got to remember that what is legal is not necessarily God's, uh, okay in God's sight. That's first off and for, 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 foremost. You know, just because something is made legal doesn't mean that it's right in God's eyes. And that morality is not determined by popular opinion or, or judicial opinion or anything like that. Morality is determined by what the Bible says. So we need to look at what the Bible says about abortions. Now, many evangelical pastors will refrain from speaking on this issue. They'll, you know, because it's controversial, potentially divisive, they don't want to, you know, upset, you know, people or anything like that. And again, that's not my goal. I, I, I've already made that clear. I don't want to do that either. But however, I want to do what God's telling me to do and leading me to do. So I have to, have to obey Him. So many, you know, pastors, they'll dodge it because uh, also because they've drifted as the Bible being the main source of absolute moral truth. And we know this because they've done, you know, George Barna, he's, he's a, one who does polls and he's, you know, renowned for his polls and the accuracy of it, you know, and most of these pastors and stuff, you know, refrain from speaking on it because it's a, quote, you know, difficult moral issue. And that's because, you know, in this study that he had done, only half of the country's Protestant pastors have a biblical worldview. Just half. And that is because, you know, when you define what is a biblical worldview, that absolute moral truth exists. That it's based on the Bible and have a biblical view on six core beliefs. I want to list these here this morning. The accuracy of biblical teaching, the sinless nature of Jesus, the literal existence of Satan, the omnipotence and omniscience of God, salvation by grace alone, and the personal responsibility to evangelize. And when you take that poll, there would be many or several of those that a pastor, some pastors, when they answered the question, did not say, well, no, not really, not so sure, or any of those. But I can say that all six of those that I believe in the accuracy of biblical teaching, that Jesus sinned, uh, did not sin, and did not uh, commit any sin while he walked on the earth. I believe that Satan does exist. Can I get an amen on that? Because, you know, we, we, we feel that, right? We battle. We're not in a battle with flesh and blood, but a principality's darkness. And that God, I mean, He's omnipotent. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. I believe that. Salvation by grace alone. It's nothing that you and I can do. It is a free gift. Amen? We don't have to earn our salvation. We do not have to work for our salvation. And the personal responsibility to share our faith. Scripture says to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we are to do that. We are to go. Go means to do. It's an action. It's something that we do. And so we share that. That doesn't mean we take our Bible, go to work, and slap somebody upside the head. Boom, boom, be saved. You know, and smack them upside the head. We don't do it that way. No, we don't. We don't uh, blast our Christian music and turn it up louder than their music, you know, and just keep turning it up and, oh, I can make mine louder than yours. That's not how we evangelize. We don't do it that way. We just talk in the example, the life that we live and we speak to those as God leads us. So how did we get here? And again, I believe a lot of it has to do with our worldview. But abortion was made legal by and large through what I believe is deception and a lot of lies. We're told that a fetus is just a glob of tissue and it's not a real person. 
and I believe that to be a lie. Using, using slogans and terms like pro-choice has deceived many, and it swayed the popular opinion. Now, if you stop and think about it, is what is the choice that they are advocate, advocating? And, and, and you know, this, this phrase, pro-choice, by using that, they've made it as personal preference rather than a moral choice or a moral issue. They've made it personal preference rather than a moral issue. So we don't say, oh, I'm pro-woman or I'm pro-rape. Why? Because rape is just wrong. We already know that. Our moral center tells us inside that that's just that's not right. But when they use a phrase such as pro-choice, we've broken it down and we've said it's personal preference. It's okay if you want to. And it's okay if you don't want to. But the thing is, is when you look at it from as a moral issue and not a personal preference, and we call it what it is, and we call it what Scripture says it is, then we understand what the truth is. Then we start looking at it from the biblical worldview. We start understanding, and we stop using phrases that just push this thing along. So I want to read what abortion is, the definition, and, and talk about this Supreme Court decision. Abortion is the extraction or expulsion of the immature human fetus from the mother's womb with the intent to end the life of that fetus prior to natural birth. Now see, fetus is a perfectly good medical term as long as you remember that it refers to a developing human baby. I want to emphasize the word human. And so I believe that life begins at conception. And we're going to go over that. We'll talk about that. That's when I believe life begins. And so if that is true, and life begins at conception. And just pretend for just a moment that life does begin at conception, even if you believe it doesn't. Just bear with me for a moment. And life begins right at the beginning, at conception. Then, if we terminate that life, another word for terminate is kill. And we know what the scripture says about killing. And so therefore, see, we can begin to look at it and we see it from that perspective. So, the question is, is does life begin at conception or not? Is there a life in there or not? Man, it's quiet again and all eyes are trained just like last week. These are important issues and you know normally you don't hear it coming from the pulpit so I understand that. I thank you for your attention definitely. Uh, stick with me. By a vote of 7 to 2 the US Supreme Court held that until a child in the womb is viable which is capable of sustaining life outside the womb, or capable of meaningful life. The court reckoned this to be six or usually seven months. The mother's desire for an abortion should take precedence over the baby's right to life. Now, for the last two or three months, the court did state, said that the state may protect the unborn, but it must allow an abortion if the life or health of the mother is threatened. The court defined her uh, life or health to mean physical, emotional, or psychological health, her age, her marital status, or the infant's prospects of a distressful life and or future. Now, these are, this is very important because basically there were so many loopholes in there and left just so broad of a definition that pretty much for a good length of time we had abortions done all the way up uh, until just till the end. 
And, you know, some of the laws have changed, which is good, and we'll go over some of those, but I believe we have not gone far enough. Baby steps, pun intended. The most... I got one giggle. The most common reason for, the, for abortion, according to the former Surgeon General, Dr. C. Everett Koop, the most common reason for abortion is convenience. Only 3 to 5% of all abortions performed are for reasons of rape, incest, the possibility of a deformed child, or severe threat to the life of the mother. And I want to say that there are several other sources that back up what he just said, and that is the current statistics. That 95% of all abortions take place because of convenience. Only 5% are the others that I just listed. Approximately 1.2 million abortions take place each year in the United States. 22% of all U.S. pregnancies end in abortion. That number is just too high, in my opinion. 84% of all abortions were performed on unmarried women. We need men who will take responsibility in the home. We take men. We need men to step up. Most abortions take place in the first trimester around nine weeks or so, which is well after the heart and brain are functioning. But it is legal to have an abortion up to 24 weeks, which is close to about six months. Now, Amelia, Amelia Taylor holds the record for the world's most premature baby at 21 weeks. So you can have an abortion up to 24 weeks. But the record for the most premature baby is 21 weeks. Now, the previous record was 23 weeks. Let's take a look at what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about abortion? Number one, human life is unique in that God created us in his image. Let's look at Genesis 1:26, where God distinguishes humans from the rest of animal creation. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now I want to read from you uh, what Steve Cole said about this passage and about human life being unique. He's, uh, he's one that's on lifeissues.org. The Bible clearly affirms that human life is not the product of impersonal chance plus time. Man did not evolve from lower forms of life. God directly created man in his image, which means that we have the capability of rational thought, personality, and moral responsibility. Someone may argue that this is simply a matter of faith. I would say that it is a matter of reasonable faith. The view that something as complex as human life is the product of pure chance is a matter of unreasonable faith because there is simply no evidence or other example of such complexity arising from random chance. And so we are made in God's image. We are special. We are different. We are not animals. We are much higher than the animals. Everyone agree? Amen. Say amen. There we go. Number two, the Bible forbids us from shedding innocent blood. And again, we're going to talk about the science of this, but let's... let's, let's uh, Let's believe that life begins from conception for the moment. If you, if you don't, just go with that. Exodus 20.13 says, Thou shalt not kill. The phrase innocent blood is found 20 times in the word, always condemning the shedding of innocent blood. You can look this up later, but in Psalms 106.38, God chastised the Jews for shedding innocent blood when they sacrificed their children to the idols of Canaan. Now, number three, 
Prenatal life is human and thus precious to God. The Bible does not use phrases like human or human being. It uses man, woman, child, son, daughter, baby. These are the terms that the Bible uses. And, they, and, they, and the Bible still uses those terms when referring to the fetus in the womb. So it'll say the son or the child in her womb. It'll have phrases like this throughout, throughout. You know, we don't have some, and you look up the Hebrew words or the Greek words for these, whether it's in the Old Testament or New Testament, there's nothing that says anything like, you know, glob of tissue, anything like that. They're calling it a person with, you know, human. That's what it means. Now, you won't see those words, but that's what it's talking about when it says man, woman, child, son, daughter. Now, Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. Now, we underline that. I want you to, we're going to talk about that. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Now this phrase, my substance yet being unperfect. Now this phrase in the Hebrew is golem, which means embryo, fetus. That's exactly what it means. And so what does this mean? You know, David is affirming in poetic language that God superintended, managed. When you look, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He, he managed the formation in the womb. He managed David. David was speaking. He was talking here. He's saying, I, I formed this. And, you know, people get caught up sometimes with terminology, but this my substance yet being unperfect, all that means is simply embryo fetus. There's another account of this in Job chapter 10. Well, not another account. Another where the same, where Job's talking about how he was fearfully and wonderfully made, how he was formed in the womb as well. You can look at this later. It's Job 10, 8 through 12. The Bible affirms the distinctness of individuals in the womb. This shows that they are human. Jacob and Esau were distinct individuals in the womb. You can look at this later again. Genesis 25, 23. We've got Romans 9, 11 through 12. Jeremiah and Paul. Uh, Paul in Galatians 1.15, stating that they were formed by God in the womb. Let's read Jeremiah's account. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So these, this is very important, and there are so many other scriptures, and we don't have time, but where it speaks about the womb, and it talks about the child in the womb, or the babe in the womb, or uh, whatever it may be. And it, 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 it's human, is what the Bible is speaking and talking about. It's not talking about it like it's an it. We don't have an it in, in the scripture when we're referring to these. Now, the other point I want to make is that God does not see children as inconvenient. In Luke chapter 18, verse 15 through 17, a couple words to pay attention to as well. And they brought unto him also infants. Now this word's underline infants. That he would touch them, but when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. 
But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever shall ye receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So a child is never inconvenient to God. Now keep in mind that word infant underline. We're going we're gonna to come back to that. Just keep it in your mind. Luke chapter 1 verse 39. We'll begin there. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, babe being underlined there, we'll pay attention to that word, leaped in her womb. Again, we have an identification of a babe in the womb of a person. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And in verse 44 it says, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Now, this Greek word for the infant and babe in those two, two spots is the same word. It's briefos. It can mean this. Number one, an unboiled child, embryo. Or number two, a newborn child, an infant. So why is this important, using that same word with these two words that we have underlined? You know, why is that important? You know, we we have two different meanings here. But we can see through this that God sees the newborn and a babe in the womb as the same. He doesn't view it as inconvenient. He views it as a person. He doesn't view it as an it. He doesn't view it as undeveloped. Any of these words that we have heard in our culture and different ones say, well, you know, and they will say different things. But that's not what we see in the Word. That's not what we see how God views them, how He sees them, how He sees that life. So this is why this is important. His hand is on us from the very beginning, which I believe is conception. Now let's talk about science. Life begins at conception. Science says yes. Why is that? How do you say that? Well, how in the world did we get this thing passed? Let's look at it. How do scientists distinguish between life and non-life? Now, a scientific textbook called Basics of Biology gives five characteristics of living things. And these five criteria are found in all modern elementary scientific textbooks. Now, here's the qualifications for life. Number one, living things are highly organized. Number two, all living things have an ability to acquire materials and energy. Number three, all living things have an ability to respond to their environment. Number four, all living things have an ability to reproduce. So that's even from cellular level, from cell to cell, reproducing. Number five, all living things have an ability to adapt. Now, I'm going to read a little bit here. Again, I got lots of notes. I'm reading a lot more than normal and not, you know, doing the preaching thing, but I believe this is so important. We've got to get all this down. I couldn't memorize all of it, so did did lots of studies. So let's look here. According to this elementary definition of life, life begins at fertilization when a sperm unites with an oocyte. That's an immature egg cell. From this moment, the life is highly organized, has the ability to acquire materials and energy, has the ability to respond to his or her environment, 
has the ability to adapt and has the ability to reproduce. The cells divide, then divide again, etc. Non-living things do not do these things. Even before the mother is aware that she is pregnant, a distinct human life has begun his or her existence inside her. Furthermore, that life is unquestionably human. A human being is a member of the species Homo sapiens. Human beings are products of conception, which is when a human male sperm unites with a human female oocyte or the egg. When humans procreate, they don't make non-humans like slugs, monkeys, cactuses, bacteria. You make another human. And you can prove this in any abortion clinic. You can take the aborted fetus, take a sample, and run the DNA. It's human DNA. At the time of conception, a, a, you know, DNA code is written, and it has already been determined what your hair color is going to be, what your eye color is going to be, all of these things. Genetically speaking, a new human being comes into existence from the earliest moment of conception. So now what's the point? What's the point of all this? The average time when a woman is aware that she is pregnant, which is usually the fifth to sixth week after conception, the preborn human being living inside her is metabolizing nutrition, excreting waste, moving, sucking his or her thumb, growing, and doing many other things that non-living things just do not do. After 22 weeks, or 22 days, excuse me, 22 days after conception, that's like three weeks, the heart is already beating. The baby's heart's already begun to beat and his or her unique blood type is already developed, often different than the mother's. At 40 days after conception, 40 days, brain waves can be read on an EEG. These are really important facts to take note of and take attention to. And we don't always hear this in the media. We won't hear it in the news. We don't hear it in conversation. Popular opinion will not tell you these things. The father of modern genetics, Dr. Jerome Lejeune, said this, to accept the fact that after fertilization has, has taken place, a new human has come into being and is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. It is plain experimental evidence. Dr. Jaime Gordon, chairman, Department of Genetics at the Mayo Clinic, said, by all the criteria of modern mo molecular biology, life is present from the moment of conception. On August 19th, 1999, a photographer, he, um, he took a picture, a surgery was taking place, and he was allowed to go into the operating room. A surgeon was operating on Samuel Armas for spina bifida, and this was at the 21-week mark, which is around five months. And... Uh, the photo captures Samuel's little hand on the surgeon's finger, and the picture has since been named the Hand of Hope. So they opened her up, and you can, you can see this picture. Now, there's some controversy about what happened during the surgery, whether or not the hand moved or if the surgeon picked up the hand or whatever it may be. There is, there's a little controversy there. But to me, the picture shows more than just the tissue. It shows life. And that's what's important. And uh, I'm not going to show this picture on the screen or anything like that, but I do have this picture on my iPad here. 
this morning. And afterwards, if you've never seen it, you know, it's, it's, the picture's been dubbed the Hand of Hope. So if you want to see that picture on the iPad, you know, I'll, I'll let you see that afterwards. But it is a picture of a surgery, so I didn't want to, you know, put that up on the screen here this morning. This morning, again, you know, my intent was, was to show you what I believe the Word says and how that I, I don't buy into what a popular opinion says. I don't want to buy into, uh, you know, I, what, I, what I call deception and lies from the very beginning on this issue. The more you study it, there are so many other things I could show you, so many other things we could go over. Um, we just don't, we don't have time in one week and really don't want to spend you know, weeks on the issue, but you can study more, you can, you can get in there, look more. It's all over the Internet. There's all kinds of information out there. Uh, before I end, I, I wanted you to be aware of Karenette Pregnancy Resource Center. We, we support them, and uh, we really, really like some of the things that they do. They have a lot of services that they do, and they do pregnancy tests, limited medical confirmation of pregnancy, education on pregnancy, education on abortion and abortion alternatives, spiritual counsel, uh, Bible, Jesus videos, Christian literature, referrals to Medicare, medical care and community resources for housing, food, financial assistance, adoption services, uh, material support for program participants, including, uh, you know, diapers, formula, baby, maternity clothing. We we usually donate. Early next year, we'll be doing a, uh, we'll do it through One Hope, One Hope event and do uh, fundraising and getting some of these materials together for CareNet. And we do it in the form of a, a baby shower and we'll do it at the house, and we can get these together and, and that sort of thing. And there's many other things. They have other programs, uh, men's ministry, uh, fatherhood program, men's abortion recovery, sexual integrity program. Uh, there's abortion recovery Bible studies. Um, so th- they do lots of things. There are many brochures that are out on the table, different ones for different things there with CareNet. Uh, one of the things is that a new law that passed in Virginia it mandates that an ultrasound must be performed before getting an abortion, which is really, really cool because just on, at Carinet alone, the ones that they've done over the last year, the ultrasounds, 84% of the clients who came to Carinet for these ultrasounds chose not to have an abortion after seeing their baby. So they saw those images that you saw on the screen and they changed their mind. So I, I think that's a wonderful law. I wish it was passed in every state so they could at least see the picture and they can see what's there before they make the decision that they're making. A couple other things that are out there on the table. We, we got these years ago, and we've got some of these left over. And uh, it's an 11 to 12 weeks preborn, and it's you know, a little plastic in the shape and everything of what it would look like and some facts on the card. And there's some of those out there. And if you'd like to take one of these, you know, feel free to do so. Also, I'm wearing this little pen um, on the, the jacket here. And these are two little feet. You probably can't see it from where you're sitting, but they're two little feet, and it's the actual size of the baby's uh, feet at 10 weeks. Those are out on the table as well. Now, if, if you want to take those, just wear it. Be sure and wear it, you know. Um, and it has a little fax in the card as well that, that the thing is pinned to. Uh, but if you're not going to wear it, don't take it. Uh, but if you're going to wear it, take it. And if we run out, we can get more. Uh, Diane Hart, if you could raise your hand, everybody. This is Diane. She's our liaison to Karenette, and she will be out there at that table, 
And if you have any questions about Karenette or if we run out of those and you say, hey, I would really like to get the feet, she'll know what you mean. And we're going to get some, uh, get some more and we can wear those and we'll have them hopefully by next Sunday or the Sunday after. And uh, you can pick those up on the table. Church, I believe we're at a critical time. We're at a time in our nation where uh, we need to understand and know what God says on all of these issues. Not just the two that I presented in the last two weeks, but we need to look at some of the others as well. But when, if you ask me, I believe that what I presented to you this morning is the most important to God. I, that's what I believe. And I believe if someone was to debate me on that with another issue, they're going to have a hard time convincing me. Because I don't believe there's anything more important than life. Life itself. Amen, church? I'm going to ask Doug Anderson to come at this time. And we have been... He's been leading uh, a prayer every Tuesday night uh, for the last several weeks. And uh, Doug, if you want to get that, that microphone there. And I want him to lead the prayer this morning. To lead the prayer to pray for the nation to pray about you know, these issues here, to pray what's on his heart and lead us. Um, he's the, I guess it's the president of America Reclaim Ministry. Is that what it, okay, get that position right. He started that. It's just wonderful. Really good stuff. So, um, and anything you'd like to ask him or talk to him about, hey, he's even a lawyer too. So, you know, any of this stuff, uh, you know, issues and other things, questions, he'd be more than welcome to answer your questions. Diane can as well. Dad will be here, I'll be here, you know, after church. So I'm going to ask us all to stand together. And I'm going to turn this to, to Doug. And let's take a few moments before we receive our offering. And let's pray for the nation. Thank you, Pastor TJ. And before we pray, let me just make a couple quick comments. This nation has Satan's attention. And the reason it does is because of how this nation was founded. This nation, aside from perhaps ancient Israel only, is the only nation in the history of the earth that was intentionally created on the principles of God's word and to honor God. That's why it has the attention of Satan, and that's why Satan wants to destroy this nation more than any other. And so that's why, even more, we need to pray for this land. So please join me as we pray. Lord God, we just lift your name on high and look to you, Lord God. We don't look to Caesar. We don't look to leaders. We don't look to governments. We look to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we ask that you restore, restore the vision and the dreams that started this nation. The dreams and vision that you gave to a people who decided that they wanted to create this country based on your principles and your word and to honor you and to be a city on a hill set apart to be a light to all the nations. Not a physical light, but a spiritual light of your kingdom, knowing that it was only that type of light that changed people and set people free. Lord God, this nation is special because of its unique way it was created. And so we ask you to protect this nation, Lord. We know that the enemy is trying to divide us. We know that the enemy is trying to get us to see differences amongst ourselves, differences between skin color, 
differences between how much money we have, differences between our political parties and our beliefs. But Lord God, your desire is for unity. You said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Lord, what you create is always unified. And so when we see division in our nation, we know that's the enemy at operation. It's not you. And so, Father, we ask you to come and heal our land, restore unity. Help us to stop seeing each other as Asian Americans and African Americans and Irish Americans and Hispanic Americans, but just Americans under your lordship. Lord, we need that unity, not the disunity of seeing differences between each other. Let us not see 1% and 99%. Let us see Americans. Let us see you in our hearts. And most especially, Lord God, we ask that you are the one that we turn to, that we don't look to Caesar all the time for answers. We look to you, Lord God. You're the only one. You're the king of all the kings. You're the Lord of all the nations. And so, Lord God, we ask that you restore and heal. Bring unity. Bring back your righteousness. Bring back your justice. Not social justice, justice. We need justice, your justice, not justice as we start making it up. We need your righteousness. We need your righteousness in our leaders. Turn the hearts of our leaders, Lord God, to you and let them desire your word and your truth and your wisdom. Restore your word in our schools. Restore your word in our courts. Restore your word in our government institutions. And most especially, restore your word and the love of you in our leaders that are leading this nation at every level. We thank you, Lord God, that you are a God that heals and restores and that you are our only hope. So we turn to you right now, Lord God. Restore a love for life. Restore a love for your truth. Restore a love for you, Lord God, and heal our land in Jesus' name. Amen.